Good morning, everyone. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Aaron, and I am the uh, teaching pastor here for Riverwood. However, I almost didn't get to become a pastor because my father-in-law tried to kill me. It was in December of 1993, Leanne and I were engaged, and her family had this little tradition of every Christmas going to Colorado to go skiing. And so because I was joining the family, they invited me to come with. So I jumped in the Wojciechowski van, and we headed off to Colorado with Leanne's parents, Leanne, myself, uh, and then her oldest sister and brother-in-law. We head off to Colorado, and right about the time we crossed the border from Kansas into Colorado, Leanne's mom starts saying she doesn't feel well. And pretty soon, she's pretty convinced she has the flu. And by the time we get to the cabin, Leanne starts saying, I don't feel well. And sure enough, she also ends up with the flu. And so that night, Leanne and her mom took turns visiting the restroom, having a horrible night's sleep. And this was a big bummer because the next day they said, we're not going skiing. Now, you have to understand, this is my first time ever skiing. Well, that's not totally true. I went down a hill in Omaha, Nebraska, where you basically learn how to snowplow. It takes you like 30 seconds, and then you're back up. That, that's not skiing. All right, so this is my first time in Colorado to go down a mountain, and my ski instructor is going to be sick at the cabin. And I am really, really bummed, which means that my new ski instructor becomes my father-in-law. And he did not really want to take the time to help this newbie learn how to ski. He lives in Kansas. He's dying to get on the mountain and, like, take off and go, not teach some rookie how not to die. So we go on the greens. Those are the bunny slopes, the easy ones. And he's trying to teach me. A couple times down, he's like, ah, you're good. You got it. Let's go. So my third run ever, I come up to a blue, which is your medium level, but it's heavily moguled. And it's at this point, I'm starting to think, I think this guy is trying to injure me. <laughs> so we kind of end uh, at, around lunchtime. We head back to the cabin because we want to go and see just how Leanne's mom and, and how Leanne are doing. So we end up going back to the cabin. Mom's not doing better, but Leanne says, yeah, I, I, I think I'm good. I'd like to come skiing. So we head back to Wolf Creek Lodge. This is down in southwest Colorado. And it's a small little resort. And they had one big lift that went all the way to the top of the ridge. And we decided that afternoon we were going to go up it. So I'm sitting in this chair. I'm, I'm sitting next to Leanne. Next to her is my father-in-law. And we get to the top. And all of a sudden, my father-in-law, instead of heading to the right towards the blues, he suddenly has left. And about this time, some clouds are starting to roll in. And pretty soon, here we are at the top of this ridge. And you can't even see like 10 feet in front of you. We go out along the ridge. And all of a sudden, my father-in-law says, oh, this is it. Let's go. And poof, he disappears into the cloud. And I realize he has just led us to a double diamond black. And it's at this point, I know he's not trying to injure me. He's truly trying to kill me. He clearly does not want me to marry his daughter. All right, now, it's not true. My in-laws are awesome. They love us deeply and dearly. They've been some of our biggest fans and supporters in planting this church. But at that time, 20, what, four or five years ago, I wasn't so sure. I, I just didn't know this guy. <laughs> Next day, the clouds cleared out, and it was actually Christmas Day itself. And on Christmas Day, no one goes skiing. 
And, and so we felt like we had the whole place to ourselves. I mean, literally, you could come down the mountain, roll right up to the lift, and you're right back on, and you're taking off again. Well, on this particular day, Leanne and I kind of avoided my father-in-law. I didn't want to die. I, I didn't want to spend Christmas in the hospital. So we went out that, we went up that same lift, but instead of going left towards the blacks, we wisely went right towards the blues. And as we got out there, we start skiing down. And I mean, we swung way out. And as we're coming down, I don't remember what happened. But some reason, I'm standing there alone waiting for Leanne to come down to me. I don't know if she had a wreck or if she saw someone and talked to them. I, I don't remember exactly what happened. But what I remember is I'm st- I, I kind of come to a stop. And I'm, I'm looking up and I'm, I'm waiting on her. And all of a sudden, I turn around. And as I look out, I see it. It is absolutely gorgeous. This little Iowa boy finally saw the mountains. I mean, the day before, it was all cloudy. You just couldn't see much. But now suddenly, I saw it. And it like just took my breath away. And I'm a pastor. I'm rarely speechless. And in this moment, I I had no words. And finally, when I could say a word, all that came to my lips was, wow. Have you ever had a wow moment that moment where your breath catches, you, you find yourself speechless. You, you're not quite sure what to say. And when you finally can say a word, all that comes out is a whisper. Wow. Maybe it was when you saw the mountains for the first time. Or maybe it was when you saw the ocean. Maybe it was the total eclipse of the sun if you headed down to Missouri just not that long ago. When that, the moon covers it up and, and all that takes place, people will chase those things around the world because they are wow moments. <laughs> Some wild moments are your first kiss. Sometimes it's holding your first child. And sometimes a wild moment is getting the just got serious sea salt caramel ice cream at duos. I mean, that is a wow moment. It's also a dangerous moment because after that moment, you're addicted and it starts to take all of your money and you just get fat. So to avoid it at all costs. But it is a wow moment, I'm telling you. We've all had these wow moments. When these wow moments happen, we find ourselves wanting to stay in them. We want them to last as long as possible. But sometimes a wow moment happens, and it leaves us wondering, what in the world? How? how? When Jesus was on earth, he gave a lot of wow moments. There were some moments when he did something that just left people breathless. It felt so much bigger than them, and yet somehow in that moment, it felt like a gift to them. But some of Jesus' wild moments left people questioning. It actually left them in fear because they realized Jesus wasn't quite exactly who they thought he was. And it pauses them to go, what in the world? Who is this? Today, we're going to look at these wow moments. Most of them would call them miracles. And as we look at the miracles of Jesus, we're going to see the kind of reaction that these miracles get. But as we look at the reaction toward his miracles, I think we're going to discover just what it means to follow Jesus and what these miracles should mean to us living in 2017. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. At Riverwood, we don't care. Uh, Did I just blank out? 
We don't care if it's a digital Bible or a paper Bible. Uh, if you have a smartphone and don't have a Bible on it, we recommend the uh, Bible app, uh, the Uversion app. Uh, it's free and it's got multiple translations. Uh, if you are like me and you want to go old school and you don't own a paper Bible, we've got two different translations on the back table. We'd love to get you one that you would then be able to read on a regular basis. All right. If you don't have a Bible with you at all, I do have it up on the screen. Last week, as we looked at the message of Jesus, we were in Mark chapter 1. And so I spent a little bit of time explaining exactly who the author was, John Mark. So I'm not going to recount that today. If you missed last week's message, you can go online and listen to that and learn a little bit about the author, John Mark. But today we come to Mark chapter 4, and rather than skip around to look at a bunch of the miracles of Jesus, I want us to center on this one particular, because I see the reaction of the disciples in it, and I think it shows us a lot, so that those of you who think of yourself as a Jesus follower can look at it afresh. All right, so let's look at Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Mark 4, 35. On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, let us go across to the other side. They're next to the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is like, hey, let's head across the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, saying to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So Heavenly Father, as we come now to study the scriptures, I pray ultimately you would be our teacher. This room is filled with people who have all sorts of different stories. They're in all sorts of different places spiritually. Some of them are questioning. Some are seeking. Some have been following you for a long time. Some have followed you, and yet they feel very, very dry. And I pray that today would be a wow moment. That today, as we look at the miracles of Jesus, you would do something in each of us, and you'd help us to recapture awe of God. And as you do this, you would get the glory as we find this joy in following Jesus. So God, we pray that you would be the one who ultimately opens this to us. You would open our eyes and our hearts to what you want to say. So use me, but ultimately, Lord, I ask that you speak in your way to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we look at this one particular miracle, and we'll kind of look at a, a couple other uh, quotes of Jesus. But as we look at this, I, I see five things that miracles kind of make us do. All right, five things that the miracles of Jesus make us do. And the first one is that I see the miracles of Jesus, that they make us stop. They make us stop. All right? When I was on that mountain in Colorado, and all of a sudden I really finally noticed the beauty around me, I stopped. Now, yes, I stopped physically, but really I stopped emotionally. I'm like, it just took my breath away, and I just wanted to soak in as much as I possibly could. Uh, like I said, when we find ourselves in those wow moments, we want to stop to let it linger. We want to stay in the moment as long as possible. Or we stop because 
it confounds us. We're stunned. We want to figure it out. Have any of you ever seen a street magician do up close magic? Anyone seen? Okay, a few. I, I, I like videos of it, but what I really like is the reaction of the people. So here is a video of a street magician, and what I want you to notice is not his trick per se, but I want you to really pay attention to the reaction of the participants. So watch and see how they react to what this magician does. Don't let me force you in any way. No. All right. Okay. Stop. There? You sure? I can go a bit further if you want. I'll go a little bit further. A little bit further, yeah? Stop. There. Write your name really big and clear across the face of it. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. So look, we've got your name on it. So that makes it one of a kind, right? Yep. Yeah? All right, look, watch. I'm going to bend it. Put a nice big crease in that. So I'm going to start tearing it. going to tear it. Yeah. I'm going to start ripping it. So look, grab the corner, rip the rest of it off. Yeah? Make sure that is the same corner, like it's the same card, right? Eight of spades. Yeah? So look, with your other hand, just hold on to the corner of the card, take that corner, and place it in my mouth. This corner in your mouth? Yep. The small bit? Yep. <laughs> but, tastes great. Yeah? Mmm. Mmm. Piece of cards, chew it up, and then stick it back onto my card that I'd written. All right, now, other than being slightly gross with the card in the mouth and all that, I, I love the reactions. I and mean, they're like, what? No way. Like, if you go online on YouTube and you watch some of these things, you'll see people like, whoa, okay, whoa, no, I'm out of here. Like, they, they kind of freak out. That's a little bit of what the disciples are doing in the boat. Jesus, when he stops the storm, he stops them. They find themselves stunned, like, what just happened? It's like they just watched a street magician, like, what? How in the world? You see, these guys, they've grown up Jewish. They've studied the Torah. They know the Torah, which we know as the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. As they study the Torah, the law, in that is Genesis. And in Genesis, it records how God creates the heavens and the earth. And God created the sun to put in the sky. He sends the rain to water the earth. And God also says throughout the law, if his people would not follow him, then he would withhold the rains and the crops could not grow. These Jewish boys in the boat, they also know the story of Joshua and Joshua 10, where God keeps the sun in the sky. Their God is the one who's in control of nature. They weren't like the Romans and the Greeks who followed a sun God or a rain God. No, they followed the God, the one and only God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who could control nature. And suddenly, this guy in their boat stands up and says to the wind and the waves, peace. Be still. He controlled nature. He did something that only God can do. And it causes them to stop. They say, whoa, who is this? But also in that moment, they come to the second thing that I see miracles sometimes doing. They make us fear. They make us fear. 
Notice there in, um, well, let's read it. Mark 40 and 41. He, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You've got to realize that um, at this point in the book of Mark, the disciples have started to hang out with Jesus, but they don't know him super, super well yet. They've heard him teach quite a bit, and they're really, really impressed. And I suspect they're thinking that he's a great prophet, even wondering if maybe this is the Messiah. They've also seen him do some healings. And I don't know about you, but that would be a wow moment to me, to see him actually heal someone. But the thing is, God had been sending other prophets who would bring the word of God and teach great things. Some of these prophets even brought healings to people. And so while they would be wowed by it, they wouldn't be afraid because of these miracles so far. But the one in the boat is different. These disciples actually have two levels of fear in the story. The first is because of the storm. You've got to realize that some of these guys were fishermen. They, they grew up near the Sea of Galilee. They're used to storms like this. Uh, they've probably had to manage their boat through them. This tells us this storm is really bad. For these guys to freak out, this means this, is, this looks really bad for them. They think they're going to die. I've got a friend named Sarah. Uh, actually, her husband, Tim, and Sarah, they've been big supporters of Riverwood. And she grew up in Parkersburg, Iowa. Some of you might remember that in 2008, Parkersburg had an EF5 tornado blast through the community. At my part-time job at Meyer Pharmacy, I was actually just there on a delivery. And you literally can see the path of the tornado. If you haven't been to Parkersburg, if you go there, you can see the old section and the new section that's been all rebuilt. You can tell exactly where that tornado went. Sarah tells me that her parents were at home when the tornado came. They heard the sirens, and so they headed down to the basement. And then they heard the wind, and the whole house starts to shake, and they get into a corner of the basement, and pretty soon the tornado is passing right over, ripping the house off the foundation. Stuff is flying everywhere in that basement, and they are clinging to each other, crying and praying at the top of their lungs, God, help us. Not imagine that level of fear. That is the level of fear that these disciples have in the storm. It's great. They think they're going to die. And this great prophet, who they've been hanging out with for a while now, is asleep in the boat. And they wake him. Don't you care that we're going to die? Like, if he's a great prophet, maybe the prophet can call out to God, God, would you stop the storm? And he'd pray alongside of them. But no, Jesus stands up and he doesn't cry out, oh, God, we could use a little help here. No, he just says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves obey. The storm stops like that. Suddenly, these guys realize we're not just in the presence of a great prophet. We might just be in the presence of God. And it brings them fear. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, kid's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, created a character named Aslan. Aslan is a lion. And in Narnia, there are talking animals. 
And so when these Pevinci kids, they, they get through the wardrobe back in England into Narnia, when they are talking with the beavers, I know that sounds really weird, but trust me, that's what, really what happens. They're talking with the beavers and they mention Aslan. And suddenly there, they, there's something happens inside the kids. And one of them says, he's a lion? Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, no, he's not safe, but he's good. C.S. Lewis is describing Jesus in that moment. Jesus, we often think is meek and mild and super safe. No, he's God. He can control the weather. So he's not safe, but he's good. And that's what the disciples end up coming to learn. So the miracles of Jesus make us stop, and they also make us fear. But then that fear leads us to the third thing, that they make us listen. The miracles of Jesus make us listen. I mean, think about it. Do you think that after this moment in the boat, when Jesus says, hey, I want to tell you guys something. They're like, nah, forget it. Or, or when he's teaching the crowds and he starts saying something, do you think they're in the back going, oh, that's a really interesting concept. I'll have to give that some more thought. No, they've seen the guy stop storms. They're listening. Jesus has earned the right to speak into their life. So when Jesus is going to say something, they are all ears. They are now going to listen like never before. Jesus tried to get this point across to some of the Jewish leaders at the time. There's a conversation that takes place in John chapter 10. If you know where John 10 is, feel free to flip there, but otherwise don't worry about it. I'll have it on the screen and we'll be back in Mark in a moment. But John chapter 10, Jesus is teaching and he says basically that he and the father are one. He, in a sense, he's equating himself equal with God, claiming to be God. And the other Jewish leaders, they see this as blasphemy. No man can be God. So they start to pick up stones to try and kill him. And Jesus responds to them and says, uh, guys, for which of these good works that I'm doing are, are you trying to kill me? And their response is, well, we're not trying to kill you because of the good works. We're killing you for heresy. You're saying that you're God. And here's how Jesus responds. John 10, starting verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my father then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, my works, my miraculous deeds, these miracles that I'm doing, even if you don't believe what I teach, at least look at the miracles and realize he has to come from God. Maybe it's because he is God. These miracles give him a right to be heard. He's saying, guys, even if you don't believe what I say, see what I do and realize you should listen. Because his disciples learned that. I mean, they'd heard him already teaching in Mark, you know, two and three. But when they get to Mark four and suddenly he stops a storm. Okay, we're listening. So the miracles of Jesus should also make us listen. But then fourthly, the miracles of Jesus should make us worship. The miracles of Jesus should make us worship. In the boat, Jesus stops the storm. We do not see the disciples suddenly fall on their feet before him and start, you know, like bowing or, you know, saying psalms or praise God. But I believe they are starting to worship. You see, the word worship means to ascribe worth. And in that moment, they now see that Jesus isn't just some great prophet but that he could control the weather like God himself. 
And it causes them to realize he's incredibly powerful. He's bigger than we expected. Maybe he's worth more than we thought. And they actually begin to ascribe worth. They're beginning to worship. That's why, well, before I get to that, let me say this. This miracle here in Mark 4, this is a big one. All right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of his other miracles are cool. You know, causing shriveled hands to suddenly become good. You know, putting mud on a blind guy's eyes and suddenly he, he, you know, washes off and he can see. Feeding 5,000 people. I mean, that, that, those are wow moments. Those are cool. Those are powerful. But stopping a storm, I mean, you got to admit, that's pretty big. But it's not even his biggest. Jesus' biggest miracle is when he prophesied that he would die and rise again from the dead. He said, no one can take my life. I lay it down willingly, and then I can take it back up willingly. And then he did it. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, the disciples watched. They saw him get pierced with that spear up into the side. They saw him come down. He was dead. Romans were great executors. They wouldn't let someone just off the cross and they just kind of swoon and fall asleep. They made sure he was dead. The disciples knew he got put in a rich man's tomb and it was sealed and it was done. It was over. These guys were depressed. They're hiding. That's why when on the third day, Jesus appears to them in the flesh Now they know he's not just a great prophet. He is God. That's why in Matthew 28, as Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven, and he's getting ready to give them his last words, the Great Commission, he brings them to the top of this mountain, and he says to them, uh, sorry, not what he says to them, but notice what they do. Matthew 28, verse 17. And when they saw him, so when the disciples saw Jesus, they worshiped him. They had just witnessed the greatest miracle that had ever happened in history. They realized he was God, and so they worshiped him. And that's what leads us to the fifth point, that these miracles of Jesus, they make us realize that he is God. Jesus is God. When the disciples were in that boat, and they were asking that question, who is this? I think they were asking it because they just saw him control weather. And in their Jewish minds, only God can do that. And yet this guy just did it. Is he really God? And Jesus tries to teach his disciples to help them understand it's true that he and the Father are one. And and so this whole conversation in John chapter 14 starts taking place between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus would teach just a moment, and then one of the disciples would say something. So Jesus is going to clarify. And this is where some of you will know this verse. It's this famous sentence where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. But Philip has to speak up. He's like, Jesus, just show us the Father, and that will be enough. And I think in that moment, Jesus kind of gets his little smirk, cocks his head a little bit, and looks at Philip and is like, dude, you don't get it, do you? Like, I and the Father are one. Like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've already seen the Father because you see me. And so Jesus decides to punctuate his point. And it's in John 14, verse 11. 
So here is, he's speaking to Philip, but the other disciples are right there listening in. Jesus says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. As these guys could think through all of the time with Jesus and realize all of the works that he did, including standing in a boat and saying, peace, be still to a storm. It should help them realize that he is God. That's what these miracles do. The miracles of Jesus should make us stop, should make us realize how powerful he is, it should make us listen. It should make us worship. They should also make us realize that he is God. But can I be honest? Sometimes the miracles of Jesus aren't wow moments for me. I think it's because I've grown up in church my entire life. I've heard these stories over and over and over. I take my faith seriously, so I've read through this thing multiple times. And when you read through something and hear it repeatedly, it slowly begins to develop like a callus on your heart and your mind. And it just doesn't seem to penetrate like it used to. Some of you, when you came in and I said, we're going to Mark 4 and we're going to look at the story of Jesus stopping a storm. Inside you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know the story. Because I know that's probably what I would do. And so it just isn't powerful anymore. For some of us, it's, it's just like history. Like, we believe it happened, but it's just so far removed from us. It just seems so distant that it just doesn't wow us. Because we get wowed by the now. But yet, that just isn't penetrating anymore. Or some of us, if we're just absolutely honest, we look at a story like this and we say, well, you know, I think the Bible probably has some really good things to say and, and there's things we can take away. But seriously, Aaron, stopping a storm there didn't happen. It's just, it's fiction. It's a fairy tale. It's mythology. You know, there's things we can learn through it, but it, it didn't really happen. I, I don't have time to go into all the reasons why I believe the, the Word of God is truly a, a reliable document that we can go and study and that these things really happened. Uh, but let me just point out one thing. Uh, notice back in verse uh, 36, it's describing. So Jesus says, hey, let's go across to the other side. And in verse 36, they says, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Like, like that doesn't contribute anything to the story. If this is a fairy tale, if this is fiction, why are you throwing in there, and there were other boats with him? Unless this is actually an eyewitness account. Last week, as I talked about John Mark writing this, that most, much of this was him learning from Peter. Peter would have been there. And Peter probably would be telling Mark, oh, yeah, I remember this time. We were down by the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, yeah, let's head to the other side. So we start getting into the boat, and there were some other people around. So they you know, kind of got into their boats, and we decided to head across. And then this horrible storm came up. Peter's merely recounting what he knew. That's why I think this is reliable. That's why I think this really happened. Because Peter's giving, you know, just miscellaneous details. And yet he gets to the big one. And then Jesus stood up and said, peace, be still. Which means the story really happened. Which means we should be wowed. But how do you recapture that wow? 
I had a chance to go to Colorado a few years after the first time my father-in-law tried to kill me. Uh, He's tried multiple times in multiple ways, most of them accidental. Um, (laughs) But we actually... uh, we actually went out to Colorado for a friend's wedding. Uh, this was one of Leanne's best friends, uh, Candace. She met this great guy from college, uh, Derek, and he was from Colorado, the Denver area. So that's where they decided to get married. And so Candace naturally wanted Leanne to be in the wedding. And I had been a music major. So Candace asks if I would play piano at the wedding. And so the day of the wedding, we get in the groom's the the father of the groom's car, and he's taking me and this other musician to the church so that we could practice. And so we were, as we're heading to the church, we're driving again through Denver, Colorado, and I'm looking at these mountains, and I've seen them before, but I'm just still like, oh, these are so gorgeous. And I just spoke up to the, the father of the groom, and I said, man, do you ever get tired of looking at these? And he pauses, and he looks out his window and says, you know, sometimes they just kind of blend in the background. So when two or three years after that, Leanne and I ended up moving to Denver, Colorado ourselves, I kind of made a vow with God to myself that I was not going to take those mountains for granted because God had pinched them into place and I was going to allow him to use those to help me to worship him. And I can say for the most part in the three years I lived in Denver, I marveled at those mountains. And I'm telling you that if I can marvel about mountains the Holy Spirit can lead you to marvel about Jesus. He can recapture an awe within you for who he is and how great he is. That's why I'm praying that today is a wow moment for you. That you would just stop. And if your heart's been calloused, if it's just been dry, if you're kind of wondering if this whole thing's real, you would just stop and look at it and realize this was an eyewitness account. This really happened. And if it really happened, whoa. And today, we should find ourselves stopping. We should find ourselves just being, taking a step back. How in the world? It should make us want to lean into Jesus, to listen to him, and to worship him. Because he is God. But unlike the Greek gods and the Roman gods who demanded that the people sacrifice things to them, this God came and sacrificed himself for you. And that should make you say, wow, more than anything else. That's why to kind of create this space for you to have a wow moment this morning, we're going to open the communion tables. If you are a first-time guest with us, I want you to know that this table is open to you on one condition. This table, when we take that bread, we are declaring the body of Jesus being broken for us. And when we pick up that cup, we are declaring that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. If that is part of your story, if that's the core of who you are, then this table is open to you. But if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I first want to invite you, come. Not to the table, but to come to Jesus. Because really, it isn't so much about these elements, as it about what they represent. Because these elements remind us that Jesus went to a cross and died for our sin. And if you have not placed your faith in him, then you're missing out. And I want you to have your wow moment. I want you to have the moment where your eyes are open and you realize it's true. That Jesus, God the Son, left his throne in heaven to come to earth, to take on human flesh, to live a perfect sinless life, but to go and die a sinner's death on your behalf. Because he loves you. 
And that today you would look up in your mind's eye and you would see Jesus on the cross and realize that's for you. And so because he gave his life for you, today would you give your life now to him? Because he rose again from the dead, performing the greatest miracle of all. And now he wants to perform a miracle in you. The scriptures describe us that when we are not living in Jesus, we are spiritually dead. But when we place our faith in Jesus, God makes us spiritually alive. A resurrection takes place in our spirit. That's the miracle that I want you to experience today. Most people, when their eyes are open to this truth, they just merely express it in prayer. So as we have this time in song with the communion elements, I just invite you to pray something like this. God, I realize that I am a sinner, but you died for my sin, and so it is now forgiven. And so because, Jesus, you gave your life for me, I now give my life to follow you. Would you lead me to follow you through life because you are God? So I'm going to invite you to come. At any time during these next two songs, you can come to the table. If you want, you can bring the elements back to your seat or you can partake of them right there. If you want to wait and do it together as a family, I invite you to do that. Or if you're just ready to come, I invite you to do that as well. Do not do this out of rote duty. Do this because this is a wow moment. Because Jesus' miracles show us that he is God. He's worthy of our worship. So let's do this in remembrance of him. So Father... I just pray that right now in the midst of this place, your Holy Spirit would be working in the hearts and minds of your people. Pray for anyone here who has not given their life to you, that today would be their birthday, the day that they surrender their life to you and you make them spiritually alive and they get to have that wow moment. It may not be expressed in their feelings, but it would be expressed in their spirit. So God, I pray for new birth today. I pray also for anyone who's struggling. They've been struggling with you. You've seemed so distant. They wonder why you're silent, why things have gone cold. And I pray that today would be a breakthrough. It'd be a wow moment. They would realize that you, Jesus, had the power to stop storms. You also have the power to stop them. So God, I just pray right now in this holy moment, you'd help us to stop, to see you for who you truly are, and that that would lead us to worship. So Father, we come to the table now to take of these elements in remembrance of you.